The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Reedus. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 280 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm your host, George Reedus. I want to emphasize that all opinions expressed on the show are my own and not my present or past employers. I will never disclose any sense of intelligence that I've been privileged to a result of my current employment, and I will never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government, and nothing I say during this show should be construed as legal or financial advice. So good evening, everyone, and uh, happy President's Day here in America. You have to forgive my voice this evening. I, I coached a doubleheader yesterday uh, with the kids, and it's gone again. And uh, <laughs> I usually don't lose my voice in baseball season, but I mean, only when I coach football, a lot more yelling going on in football. But uh, we had a pretty close doubleheader yesterday, and it was pretty exciting. So um, lots of fun with the kids. I appreciate your understanding that the show must go on, as they say, right? So we got a, an exciting show for you this evening, especially if you are a security practitioner looking to start your own company. Uh, we're going to have Mr. Ethan Smart on the show with us. Uh, Ethan is a security practitioner turned co-founder and chief solutions architect for AppNovi. And uh, he's been a security engineer and architect for companies such as McDonald's and, and McAfee, Tufin, and, and VArmor. He's uh, been working in the corporate world for a while before he actually became uh, this, this co-founder of AppNovi. And he's worked with some of the largest Fortune 500 uh, companies and has helped them solve some of the most complex security problems at scale. So he is now focused on utilizing his knowledge and experience as a practitioner to develop and evangelize highly functional, scalable, and usable software at AppNovi. So AppNovi was uh, founded by security practitioners to enable attack surface identification and mapping to support business-specific vulnerability management and empower effective incident response. It's going to be a great show, folks. Let's kick it off. So, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show, Mr. Ethan Smart. Ethan, welcome to Task Force 7 Radio. Awesome. Thanks for having me, George. Hey, man, it's great to have you here. Um, hey, yeah. happy to be here. Yeah, I, I, look, I'm, I appreciate you coming on, man. You got an interesting story. You got a very <laughs> interesting story, man. So how did you get into the cybersecurity field? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, we'll go way, way back, right back when uh, when enterprises had massive air conditioning bills because they were still running data centers pre-cloud. No, I'm just kidding. Not that far back. <laughs> um, so I started all the way back in high school, right? I uh, I set up uh, a credential harvester in the computer lab. Uh, took my took my graduating classes uh, Facebook passwords, right? And, uh, and changed my, their profile pictures to a picture of me. Uh, got into some trouble, but I was like, hey, this cybersecurity thing's pretty cool. Uh, it started my, I guess, my curiosity uh, from yeah. there. And so went and played college basketball for a year at a, at a smaller college. And then uh, after a year, dropped out because I was so into just IT in general. My curiosity just wouldn't stop. And so... Ultimately, I was I went went out with a group of friends. I was trying to get my first kind of foot in the door with cybersecurity, 
And uh, I was out with a group of friends and I, and I asked this girl, she asked me like, what do you want to do with your life? And I was like, oh, I really want to go into cybersecurity. Uh, I'm trying to go into it. And she said, are, are you just, are you just saying that to me? And I was like, what do you No, No, I, it's really what I want to do. <laughs> That's usually not the thing someone says. <laughs> yeah. Anything, right? And, and <laughs> she goes, oh, well, my dad's the CISO of McDonald's. And I was like, oh, small world. Right. And, uh, and Mark Varner is his name. He's a great guy. He ultimately gave me my first shot in cybersecurity at McDonald's and, you know, been, been in a few, made a few hops in the career since then in the cybersecurity world, but, but he really gave me my start and in kind of a wild fashion, right? Wow. That's, that's, uh, that's pretty interesting. So you dropped out of school because you liked cybersecurity so much that you just wanted to do it all the time. And, <laughs> you know, so you just, you just dropped out of college. You say, I mean, I'm just, I'm just going to go do this. I'm going to figure it out. Yeah, yeah, I don't. I don't recommend that, by the way, to everybody. <laughs> I would. Uh, I don't go around telling people, "Yeah, drop out of college for cybersecurity." But, but yeah, for me, it was. Uh, I was all about it, right? I just. I, I thought about it day and night. I was on hacker forums. I was, uh, you know, setting up, you know, you know, Zeke or Snort in my home lab, and I was just so curious that I, it really became, I, I won't go as far as to say as an obsession, but it was just so interesting to me. And I think that that intellectual stimulation was, was something I really gravitated towards. So it's interesting, right? You know, I talk to a lot of young folks, um, you know, I mentor a lot of people and they ask me, you know, well, how did you get to where you are today? And, you know, we discussed my career path and I always <laughs> say the same thing. I don't recommend <laughs> you take the same career path. Don't do the same thing. You know, it's funny how For things sure. work out, right? It's just, you know, when you play the, you know, when you play the odds, you get, you know, most likely you got the best bet at doing it the right way. But so, yep. so you went into, you went into cybersecurity without a college degree. And I talk about this a lot on the show. I've talked about it before. Sometimes I find this very interesting. Um, and I'm starting to, you know, even question the value of college degrees these days. I mean, you have mm. kids graduating college with $250,000 of debt. Yep. And it's like, you know, for what, you know, so yep. you, like you want, you, you have a mortgage and you don't even have anything yet, you know, and you're going out. And, <laughs> so it's really, I don't know. It's really, I mean, we could probably just have a whole separate show on that. Yeah. Right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But what was it like yeah. going into cybersecurity without a college degree? Yeah, it was interesting, right? It, I'll say this, like exactly like you said, you know, don't, don't do it the way I did it. There's probably an easier way. But for me, it was, I would say, I, I, frankly, I was a little lucky, right? Mark Varner really took a, took a, a chance on me at McDonald's and, and gave me my first opportunity. And from there, you know, I, I did some other stuff. I did get a few certifications and kind of networked my way into the following jobs. But I think the as much as I, I can say one way against the college degree, I think if you if you do network without one, you go and talk to people, you learn, you look for good mentors, and you really put yourselves in situations where you're getting hands-on experience, right? Doing the work, willing to talk to people and network, you'll be okay without one, right? And uh, in the early days, it was a little bit harder, but then as I got going and and you just learn learn your stuff, it really helps out. And certifications helped kind of, I think, patch up some of the gaps in there for me as well. Yeah, no doubt. I think networking is probably the biggest thing. I and mean, that's probably <clears> the biggest thing that someone can do. There's a lot of value in there. Um, so look, you, you don't have a college degree. What role did certifications play? Did you get any certifications? And 
you know, what, what, <laughs> you know, what did you do with that? I mean, because people always ask me. Oh, you know, hey, I was going to say, how often do you get asked? Yeah, I was going to. I was going to say, how often do you get asked this question? Right? Oh, all the time, man, all the time. You know, people want to <laughs> know, like, what should I do? Like, where should I go? And and that's you know, especially young yeah. folks and that are starting on the career and they're trying to you yeah. know break into the field. Yeah, I I say it like this, and I'm sure you've heard this a thousand times. How many times have we heard from a practitioner? Uh, compliance doesn't equal security. Yeah. Right on that end, yeah. I say something similar. Uh, from an individual perspective, certified doesn't equal competent. <laughs> right. And right. so it's it's great to be certified compliant on the enterprise side. And then as an individual practitioner, it's great to be CISSP certified. I think it's fantastic. It can open doors for you, but it doesn't necessarily mean that, that you're going to be perfectly competent. So I think there's a place for it. I think they'll, they'll be around for a long time, but I think don't over uh, attribute success or or competency to the certification, and and I'm I'm I am interested. I probably I'm get called a little bit too forward thinking for this, but I'm interested to see what certifications play as individuals as the cybersecurity insurance game keeps changing. Right, I'm wondering as we go down this route, are our insurers going to start uh, taking a look at the actual team who's certified, what they have when deciding on premiums and things like that, do you, will, will having a certain amount of CISSPs uh, help the teams or not? And I know that's all conjecture, but I do wonder as, as time goes on and as the cybersecurity insurance game changes, what, what perhaps that'll look like as well. You know, that's, that's really interesting. And it's also interesting to, to note that, you know, when I look at jobs, especially entry level jobs, I mean, they don't have, you know, CISSP certifications on these entry level positions. A lot of times they're, you know, domain specific in, in cybersecurity, yeah. right? But I mean, as as you move up the chain, as you move up the ladder, if you want to call it the corporate ladder, as you as you continue to progress your career, I do see a lot of um, positions posted that do say, like, hey, look, you need your CISSP. And that's, I feel like that's almost like just to get in the door, just to have the conversation, you know, maybe just to qualify for Agreed. the conversation. And like you said, after that, it really has nothing to do. It doesn't equal competency, right? But it maybe, yeah, maybe well it helps said. you get the get the get the conversation. Yeah, well said. I think so. Yeah, but, it shows hiring managers too that you're willing to learn, you're willing to, you know, to, con- to continue to grow your career. So certainly, it doesn't hurt. Doesn't hurt. You know, uh, you know, specifically in in the cybersecurity industry, certainly doesn't hurt. And there's a variety of different certifications that you can get depending on what kind of domain you're interested in. But what else did you learn in your early days here? You know, getting into the field. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. Early on, I think even as to go back to the McDonald's days and other things, uh, it was interesting, right? There's a few different pieces. One would be get a mentor early on, right? Separate mm-hmm. from uh, from things I've learned as a security engineer, analyst, and architect. Architect, excuse me. Uh, getting a mentor is a huge part. Uh, are a huge thing I learned. So I had guys that really came along alongside me, guys and gals who really came alongside me, showed me how to frame a lot of my thinking, both as a security guy, infosec guy, but also more generally as a human being. So get it, get a mentor early on, someone who's who's done it and is looking to pay it forward. And then as time goes, you should become a mentor to someone else, right? I like that infosec mindset or the the greater community is seems to really be about paying it forward and mentoring others. So one thing I love about Yeah, that's huge. Being man, a security guy. It forward. Huge, huge. And yep. it's it's yep. it's gratifying too. You know, it's definitely 
something that I think, you know, makes me feel good when you're able to help somebody. Right. I, one thing I learned about, sure. you know, in, uh, in corporate in my early days is that people like to make other people's careers. They like it, mm. you know, they Agreed. enjoy it and it's, uh, they don't get anything out of it, you know, sort of financially or anything else, but they get that self gratification. Hey man, I actually helped somebody and look what they're doing with it. And it, you know, it feels real good. It feels real good. Yeah. Very um, true. So Very look, true. You, you, you worked in big business you, you know, and you, you started out in a, in a big corporation, but eventually you, as you navigated through your career, you became an entrepreneur and you went to the dark side, the vendor side of things. You know? what, what made you do that? Yeah, yeah. So I was, I was early on in my career and I was, I was hell bent on becoming a CISO, right? That was, that was it. I was like, I'm going to be a CISO. It's what I want to do. <laughs> I had fun. That's a, funny. Yeah, I had great mentors who were CISOs, who, by the way, often said, really think about if you want to do this or not, like uh, a lot of sleepless nights and stuff. So yeah, I, I was... I was hell bent on doing it, but uh, I had some, again, on the mentor front, right? I had some, uh, a job opportunity to go over to the vendor side. I talked to my mentors about it. And the, the good thing that they kind of pitched me on was, listen, you're going to be able to see a lot of different organizations, a lot of different enterprise. And I focused on the top Fortune 200 uh, when I ultimately moved over and you're going to be exposed and be able to learn really quickly what all these different programs look like. Right. So I worked with some of the largest banks in the world, some of the largest pharmaceutical companies in the world, media companies. And I really did get exposed to seeing a lot of different enterprises, problems, problem sets in a very short amount of time. Uh, humorously enough, most everybody has about the same problems, <laughs> right? But whether it's technical or political, but being kind of sold on that vision of being able to see so many things. And if I want to go back to the CISO route, I could still do that probably with a greater set of context as well. Uh, but ultimately I did, I did stick to this side of the fence. Uh, and, and I think the great side, the great thing about the vendor side is there's so much room for problem solving. Uh, on both ends, there's a lot of room for that. And so I'm, I'm just obsessed with solving problems and being able to do it on this side has been a thrill. So tell me, so you made the transition into the vendor side. Obviously, there's a lot of business development involved in, in what you do in the cybersecurity space. What are some of the good things and some of the bad things about being on the vendor side? Like, you know, tell, tell, us, tell us what that day-to-day -day looks like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's... Uh... There was kind of two sides of the story, right? One, when I start, when we started Abnovi, there's that side of the story. And then there was kind of the working for, for other vendors side. I think just like anywhere else, right? There's good and bad sides. I think the, the good thing is a lot of people want to solve problems. They want to do it at scale, get exposed to a lot of things like product management and, and things as well. The, the thing that we really started at Novi of, of a spirit from was we say all this all the time is things don't have to be this way. And so before we became an, uh, before I became an entrepreneur working for other vendors, there was just certain sides that I saw that I, that I wasn't as thrilled about things like focusing on, uh, you know, marketing buzz as opposed to what the practitioner wants, right? Like, right. Oh man, yeah. Let's be all about cloud security. And I'm like, yeah, let's be about, cloud security, but do you know in particular what the practitioners want versus what maybe an analyst wants or something like that? And the good analysts are usually aligned on that anyway. 
And so when we started AppNovi, we're all ex-InfoSec guys. We're all ex-SOC analysts, security engineers, network engineers. And as we've started to build out our, our product and our solution, we've really taken that spirit of, which we've seen other vendors do well, for sure, is what does the practitioner want? And if we were still practitioners, would we want this feature? Would we want this solution? And so that mindset, when, when the vendor or, or whoever has that, it tends to be the most successful. And there's some really cool things when you go to market. And I love hearing a security engineer say to me, oh man, why haven't I had this the last five, 10 years? Like, this is the solution I've wanted. This is what, how I'd use it every day. And that's a thrill. It's, it's an absolute thrill when you're able to do that. Yeah, I know there's a lot of SOC analysts out there right now listening to this and like they're, you know, their hairs are perks up and you know, like starting to think about what you say. And, I, you know, I, can, I really appreciate it because, um, you know, people need to sort of get out of their comfort zone, too, sometimes. Right. Mm. They get comfortable. They, you know, they're every single day, you know, you know, eight, 10, whatever it is, hours they do, uh, you know, eyes on glass, analyzing things. And sometimes they don't have the time to think about or don't make time to think about their own careers and career management. And what you yeah. just said really speaks to that, you know, in volumes. Um, 100%. Yeah. yeah. No, man, I appreciate it. So, all right, folks, we're going to pause for some quick messages from our sponsors. And then we'll be right back with our special guest, the co-founder of AppNovi, Mr. Ethan Smart. Whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 Hacker Innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Sinet, S-I-N-E-T. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. 
Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's Task Force 7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guest, the co-founder of AtNovi, Mr. Ethan Smart. So, Ethan, you know, when you get into business, I think it's really important uh, that you get into the business with the right partner, if you're going to have a partner. Uh, and mm-hmm. it just, you know, things change too over time. And you just really have to give it a lot of thought. How did you meet your co-founder? How did that all go down? <laughs> yeah, talk about, it again, another stroke of, uh, of luck there. So, so Joe and I go back to the Tufin days, which is two companies ago for us. And we were both there solving the, the firewall management problem. And uh, one, I think the first time we met, we were in this, in like a, a round table, like a circle of a bunch of product team and engineers. And, and they were going on and on about, I don't even remember what. And he and I both generally agreed with, disagreed with the room and, and kind of were sharing our vision on the market on where we think it was going. And interestingly enough, he and I aligned. Uh, it was a really good discussion, but we started talking afterwards. And it was, in a way, it was so accidental, but also definitely electric as well to, to meet someone who also thought about the market, thought about uh, the general problems that the InfoSec community was dealing with in the same way. And so, you know, we could, we could talk for, for hours about that, ended up becoming good friends, certainly one of my, one of my best friends. And then we followed each other to another company, and then we were about to go to a third, but we said, hey, if, if third time's a charm, we might as well do our own thing. And so it was great. He, he's an ex-SOC guy. We're, we're both ex-SOC analysts and security engineers. And so he and I were, were sitting down in the, in the height of the pandemic. We had just left our previous company to figure out what we wanted to do next and we were like, man, what is uh? If we look back as practitioners, what did what did we always struggle with, right? And and we started talking about Abnovi, the space that we're going into, and and started it from there. So in in full, like I would love to give this great advice on on like how to meet your future co-founder, but it was honestly just a great stroke of luck that we're together, and it's been awesome. It's been a great ride. Yeah, man, becoming an entrepreneur is very very difficult, and I have so much respect. Uh, for entrepreneurs. In fact, I think some of the smartest people we have on this show, we have a lot of smart people from government, private sector, uh, public sector, all kinds of different people come on this show. But I think the entrepreneurs really, they're the innovators, man. They're the people that are really just making it happen. You know, they're, the, they're the disruptors, right? And it's it's not easy. It's not easy at all. How, how did you decide you wanted to start your own cybersecurity company and go out there and just do it? Oh yeah. Well, by the way, don't let my last name fool you. Even though I'm only smart by name, right? So really, it's the it's the team around me that's how great of a name is that, though, man. You must have had fun with that your whole life. Oh yeah. You know, I I did at some point consider naming um, our first boy is actually on the way in April, and I did consider naming him Alec, just so when the teachers have the the last name first, it would be smart Alec. (laughs) You know, just to see how that would go. Congratulations Uh, on that, though. That's exciting. I, I, I appreciate it. 
so we from a cyber uh, starting our own company perspective right how did we decide to do that uh you know we were both uh you know we're i guess again ex security practitioners we knew we we both wanted to do something um after our last job and we started talking again and talking about our past ex experience as practitioners, not only as security guys, but also being network infrastructure guys in our past, being developers. And we started thinking about this general problem, which was the market and practitioners didn't need another AI ML tool in our mind as much as they needed to solve this, this problem that's been around forever. And it, if you think about it, it's just like what CIS control, like one and two, you know, do you have a dynamic inventory of your assets at all times and, and software? And we looked at that and we're like, man, that used to plague us in every role that we've been a part of, right? Like not having context, not having good asset attribution. If we go back to our instant response days, right? We think about, the, we have this, we talk about a very similar problem together where we're SOC analyst. There's an alert on a on an IP, right? Not even like a server or what what its domain name is. There's an alert on an IP. Okay, now what? Right? Do you know who owns that? Do we know is that just a server serving up the cafeteria menu, or is this the ATM locator for a bank? Right? Is is this part of a crown jewel application? So you go down these lists of questions that were so frustrating purely because you didn't have good asset attribution. And so we're, we've been solving this problem. Um, we said, you know, it's gone on long enough. And again, we say, I, I say all the time, it's not like this AI ML magic silver bullet algorithm. It's just a problem that should have been solved five or 10 years ago that was overlooked and where we've been taking a stab at, at solving it for, for some of the largest companies in the world. So you actually bootstrapped your own company. You didn't raise any money, <laughs> right? You didn't raise any money to start this whole thing. What was that like? I mean, you know. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be the podcast where I tell people to just not do what I've done. Um, <laughs> but, but, it's, but, you know, that's very valuable to some folks too, yeah. you know, about, yeah. you know, I mean, just, just some of this advice and, 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 you know, listening to some of the lessons learned. Yep. helps so many people because people are trying to figure out what to do and how to get there. <laughs> and they're very, yeah. you know, they're very motivated. They just need someone to tell them, you know, Hey, look, and give them some little advice about, you know, what to do, but obviously bootstrapping yeah. your own company is probably like one of the hardest things that you could do. Right. Yeah. Particularly in the enterprise security space. Um, so it has been great to do it for a lot of, a lot of reasons too. Like I, I joke that it, it has, it was, Difficult in the very early days, but actually, it has been a, it's been awesome uh, to be able to do that bootstrapping, and and we're looking to uh, to pro to probably not be bootstrapped forever as things progress. But um, he and I, again, ex practitioners, and so what we really wanted to focus on is can we take the time to build the software that we would have wanted as practitioners, and so. That was a key thing for us, and we wanted to be able to do it in, in our, at our own speed and, and pace. And so we really created AppNovi. It's, it's really built by practitioners for practitioners. That was a big thing for us. Um, and so while it was hard at first, as we started picking up 
you know, more customers, more design partners and everything. It's, it's been a great journey. We've been, we've, we, we call it the Apnovi installation in the, in the early days where, you know, you got the whole team on the phone. Now we've expanded, of course, but, you know, we were on, we wanted to hear what the users thought, um, how else we could make their lives better as analysts, as engineers. And then we, we product manage, managed around that feedback. And so it's, it was definitely a ride, right, of being bootstrapped. But um, I love the freedom it gave us, at, in the, especially in the early days, to, to think like just be a security engineer and build the product for security engineers and architects and be able to solve that problem. So there's been a so lot you, of good are things Are you both developers? It. We are, yeah. So Self-taught uh, developers. Self-taught developers, um, you know, self-taught developers, engineers, marketers, right? All this different stuff. We've been wearing a lot of hats. And as we've grown the team, it's been great to bring uh, specialists in a lot of those areas. But yeah, self, self-taught. self So, on, on I mean, those. that's so key, uh, I think, in my opinion, in, in, you know, bootstrapping your own company in the cybersecurity world. I mean, if you're not a developer, you can't build your own product, no matter how great your ideas are. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, becomes a serious problem. It's so true. Right. And so great. Exactly. To your point, it's been interesting on both sides, because not only are we developer uh, security guys who also happen to be developers, but we're also developers that happen to be security guys. So when we're building our product and coding, we have a security practitioner mindset. Right. And so that helps not only from a a speed perspective, but also internally as a security perspective, we're doing AppSec continuously, not just with automation and technically, but you have security practitioners writing the code, right? And making sure that it's safe, making sure that we're taking as minimal risk as possible, right? So that's that's really been interesting on, on both fronts. So what's the best advice that you can give to a security practitioner out there right now listening to this show? working someplace, they're over at, you know, AT&T or whatever, you know, and they're thinking about starting their own business. What's the best advice that you can give them for, you know, founding their own cybersecurity company? Yeah. Um, my advice for them would be to, uh, to not think about founding. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, it would be specifically just to look at what you're doing today. Am I going to be honest? I'm going to go back to what you just said. A lot of people say that, by the way. Yeah, yeah. A lot I, of people who are found in cybersecurity <laughs> entrepreneurs actually say, "Hey, look, I, you know, I don't recommend doing this." Yeah, <laughs> and and, uh, and it's 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 an interesting uh, it's an interesting dynamic, right? And it's it's been awesome, and I've loved it, but it is hard. And the best way to to and it's gotten so much easier now as we've picked up so much momentum. So now it's actually great. But the upfront, you know, pain has been interesting, but awesome, awesome. Uh, excuse me. Uh, also something I would recommend is if you are a practitioner, start looking around at what's frustrating for you, right? What are the problems that you're dealing with every day and see if there's a solution already out in the market for it. And cause just Joe and I did that, right? We, we said, what was our biggest pain? And funny enough, we thought someone would have solved it by now. And, and we kept looking and no one had solved it. And that was kind of the eureka moment. So exactly like you said, like really think about, you know, wanting to start if you want to start your own business or not. But if you are going to just think what, what hurts, right? Like take the doctor approach, diagnose yourself and, and your team, like what hurts and then, and then solve for that. How about, how about this? How about running cybersecurity for the startup itself? How important is cybersecurity for your own, <laughs> you know, for your own business? 
uh, when oh, you're doing yeah. this from a development standpoint, especially? Well, so, you know, uh, I'm sure you've, you and your team and other, and other teams and practitioners you're talking with have, have talked about a little thing called log4j and, uh, <laughs> and yeah. uh, solar winds back, back last year. So the general market or mindset of enterprises, right? I'd be curious on your thoughts on this as well, is starting to focus way more on, and I think third party, I'm going to say third party security, but I know third party security has been a supply chain, right? Has been a thought since, you know, you look back to the target breach, right? That was a third party. But I think it's a it's it's different now because with Log4j, and in, in some cases in really solar winds, you had the actual security vendors introducing potential risk to the companies they were trying to protect. And so that's a very new dynamic as we're starting to think about the threat landscape. So us as developers, thankfully, we're again ex-security guys. And even though we're very entrepreneurial starting our own company, we think about internal security all the time, right? We think about application security and everything all the time. And we try to embed it in everything. So I would say that we're probably having to think about internal security and AppSec far more than a lot of other startups had to think about even two years ago. It's, it's, I'm, and so I'm curious as you know, what your thoughts are on some of the. So I think this is no, I think this is not a new dynamic, but it's actually something that's come to the forefront into people's minds because of recent mm. events. Right. It's always mm. been there, right. That risk has always been there. And it's kind of like, um, it's interesting because when I think about cybersecurity executives in corporate, uh, especially in, in financial services, I'm not sure they practice, and some of them do, and some of them don't. I mean, it's just a weird. It's also like almost like a personality thing. It's some yeah. some of them, even on their home networks and things like that. I don't think they practice the same cybersecurity, you know, uh, <laughs> etiquette, right? Um, as at home with their families or whatever, then they that they do at work. It's almost mm. like you want to get away from it when you, you, you come home. You just want to get away from it. And I think when you, yeah. you when these guys are starting their own businesses, um, cybersecurity costs money, right? And yeah. for a lot of entrepreneurs, unless you're unless you can actually do it yourself, right, it becomes expensive. Uh, it becomes very expensive. So initially, I think out of the gate, I'm not sure cybersecurity for their own company is actually a priority. Right for mm. some of these cybersecurity guys. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, um, I, that's what that's what I seem to find. Um, yeah, it's it's been interesting, and like you said, it's been around. This problem's been around forever. It's just now it's it's more focused. I think that's definitely well said because, yeah, we, when we started it, like you said, even me personally, it wasn't the number one priority. I thought when we started, and when we started was right around when the solar winds came out, and so that changed our mindset. And uh, thankfully, we didn't have any exposure to Log4j or anything like that in our in our product. But you know, that was definitely refocused us as well to start thinking about like, you know, uh, refocus ourselves on our on our internal security. Yeah, because it can get overwhelming. You know, I do a lot of advisory work, and you know, when I talk to some of these uh, some of these folks, and we start talking about you know DLP and data security and you know the insider threat and identity access management and you know SSDLC, and, and it can be overwhelming. Yeah, you know, it could be overwhelming. Like, oh, do, do I need to do all this stuff? And then we start, oh, by the way, then there's you know GDPR, and <laughs> just, <laughs> you just go on and on, you know, about and it's just it, it, it could obviously it's you know, all of it's not feasible for some of these smaller companies, I and mean, there's there's a yeah. risk acceptance 
and everything. But as your as your profile grows grows and you, your attack profile grows as well, right? And then you have to, you know, I, I think invest a significant amount of time and money into it. But if you you can do it yourself, that's the key. I mean, yeah. I think that's the that's the key. All right, Ethan, we got to take another short break to hear from our sponsors, but don't go away, folks. We'll be right back with our special guest, the co-founder of AppNovi, Mr. Ethan Smart. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Sinet, S-I-N-E-T. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guest, the co-founder of AtNovi, Mr. Ethan Smart. So, you know, Ethan, we were talking about, you know, during the break, we're getting into the, uh, the asset management conversation. And uh, I have to ask, you know, wh- why do you think and when do you think asset management has become part of the CISO's problem? <laughs> I mean, I have my opinion, you know, but, but what, what do you think, you know, launched that? Well, into the, into you the- do rock, paper, scissors for who goes first? Or- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... Um, 
what's interesting is I think the asset management problem is is really everyone's problem, right, in the organization because there's so much context that every team needs uh, from an, an asset management solution, right, to do their job. And I think the CISO, I think the reason it's it ends up being their problem is because uh, they have a lot of the right data, right? If, if you have the EDR tool, you have the vulnerability management scanner, you often own the SIM and a lot of these different tools. You're the, how many times, you know, have you heard? Uh, every time I see a vendor say this, I'm like, I wonder if someone should probably use some different lingo what is you can't defend what you don't know about or you don't see. Yeah. Right. And I've, I've heard that so many times that now when I hear it, I start to cringe, but it, it is true. Right. And so the CISO has been solving visibility problems or the security team. You got, you've been solving this, the visibility problem since day one. Right. Cause it's, it's been, it's been hurting so much. And so I think they've ended up as an owner of it. And the reason we found it at Novi or a core ethos, I should say, we found it at Abnovi on is we're not an agent and we're not a scanner because you do have the data to solve asset management, to solve asset attribution, and then to speed up instant response and vulnerability management. But you have the data already. The CISO owns a lot of it across, you know, if it's whatever X EDR platform or, or SIM or vulnerability management scanner. And really what Abnovi does is it just ties all of your existing solutions together and dynamically update you on, on what that is. And so I think it's been almost an accident, but really it's been out of necessity, right? Just survival because the security team has been, has been trying to understand what the estate is so they can protect it. And often other parts of the business, I would say maybe aside from like infrastructure, but a lot of the business owners and app teams are, are just trying to solve so many other problems. And so I think just almost out of necessity, it's ended up in the CISO's, CISO's domain. Yeah, I'm I curious think, what your thoughts are. Uh, I think I think what happened was there was a very high profile breach, and I'm not going to get into when it talks specifically <laughs> about a, a specific CISO, so I'm not going to mention any names. But, but sure. I mean, there was a very high profile breach. I think you know the one I'm talking about that involved an asset that wasn't patched because they didn't know about it. Right? It wasn't in the mm. asset management uh, inventory, so the asset yep. wasn't patched, and the, and you know, and they were breached. You know, through that asset, it was compromised because it 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 wasn't uh, up to date. And that CISO lost their job. Mm. Mm. And I think that got the attention of a lot of people. You know, that yeah, got the attention said. of a, a lot of people. Now, you know, you could, we, you could sit there and argue all day, you know, well, you know, how, how culpable was the, the, the CISO? Um, you know, we could go on, we, do, we can do a whole show on that, really. Yeah, I mean, you know, we sure. could sit here and talk for hours about it. Um, but I think that's what really got everyone's attention. Um, mm. And uh, unfortunately, you know, that's kind of that's kind of the thing. Like, no, you know, some of these some of these executives, you know, uh, don't really want to spend a lot of money in cybersecurity until something happens. And then all of a sudden, you know, they have all the money you, you, you want. And it's kind of then it's too late. Yep. Um, but uh, I don't know. It, it, I think that's what uh, sort of launched asset management into the, yeah. you know, into the cybersecurity space, because typically it's not a really it's not a, uh, a cybersecurity function. Right. When you think about domains and cybersecurity, you know, intelligence, incident response, um, you know, uh, forensics, uh, you know, SSDLC. Um, it's not one of those domains. There are about 12 different domains in cybersecurity uh, we like to talk about here. 
but you know, yeah. asset management is not one of them. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. You're, you're right. Right. But it, what's, uh, what's, I, I totally agree with you. And what I think is interesting though, is so many of those functions and other teams functions uh, become faster, smarter, stronger uh, when you have that asset management uh, or asset attribution, I guess, solved. And, and so if you think about vulnerability management, right? Like, okay, you're scanning the environment and, and you're looking continuously for, for different vulnerabilities. But then exactly like you said, it, what about the missing devices or assets? What about the asset that um, I could throw a vendor in there, but I'll try to, I, I, um, I'll try to avoid it, I guess. What about my EDR platform sees a thousand hosts in AWS? AWS sees 2,000 devices, EC2s, say, and the vulnerability scanner sees 1,800, right? And so now right away with, uh, with like AppNovi or whatever asset management solution, you're starting to get context into, oh my goodness, vulnerability management scanner is missing 200 devices. EDR platform is missing 1,000 devices. And so how do we validate those different controls is something that we tried to focus on. And then uh, going into other things, like once you understand what each tool says about a device and we take in NetFlow, right? Or, or network telemetry, how can we speed up vulnerability management or incident response, right? If we can visualize all your tools and your telemetry, we say a picture is worth a thousand rows. Can I have a SOC analyst look at a graph, an interactive graph of, um, of, of an event, right? Versus like a thousand logs. And then what is each security tool saying about each asset that's involved in the breach? So it's so true. Like you said, like asset management is, is really a, not a security specific domain. But then once you have it solved, it's, it's interesting to me. I mean, I'm curious what, what you would say, how all the different things move faster, cleaner, smarter, you know, with asset attribution solved. Ah, uh, it's a huge problem. It's a huge problem in organizations, and I still think they're trying to figure it out. Um, obviously, you can't protect what you can't see. So mm. it's kind of a simple, yep. it's, it's very simple. It's not very complicated, right? And it, it, it's caused major, major problems, right? There's <laughs> use cases out there to say, oh, wow, this is like, this is what happens to them. You know, when you do sort of like, a, you, you do your analysis, and I think some of the best ways to get somebody's attention on the board and, and speak with confidence and also and, 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 you know, gain that trust um, that you need from, from executives, whether it's at the executive committee or the board, is to show them, hey, look, this is a real world analysis. That's something that an incident that happened to another company. And we took those facts and we applied them to our company. And this is what would have happened if it happened to us. Mm. You know, if yeah. that came here. And, and I think, you know, it's hard to argue with that type of analysis. And totally. Yeah, in my opinion, when you're talking to board members, especially, they get that man. They get they get the risk associated with that. When you start speaking, totally, you know the the, the language that they understand, um, things become a lot easier. I think, but uh, I'm not sure why people didn't get it earlier. But it's like anything else. I mean, what do you think? Why, why didn't people start to solve the asset management problems sooner <laughs> than than now? I think you know, yeah. I, obviously, I already stated why, but uh, in my opinion, but what do you think? Yeah, that's a no. It's a great question. Um, so I think the there's always been different attempts at solving it, but I think often it's end up ended up as such like a 
point solution or you, so there, there was two approaches, right? Broadly before today, either one, you did the scan approach, which was, okay, let's just scan the environment and see what you can find. And you end up with a bunch of IP addresses, <laughs> right? But then you have to figure out what is this IP address? Oh, oh no. Oh my goodness. It doesn't have a, a DNS record. Uh, you know, what do we do now? Who owns this? And then you kind of went into the agent approach, which was, well, if we can't scan everything or figure everything out, let's try putting agents on stuff. But then when you do the agent, what about the stuff that doesn't have an agent that's not compatible with your agent? Uh, what about, what do you do with shadow IT? And so that was the early days and that was the pre-cloud, right? Pre-deterministic environments, I would say. Um, but you did that did start to open the doors for scanners because they still have a place. Vulnerability management scanners still have a place. And it did open the door for a lot of agents. And then certainly from a threat perspective, you have all the new EDRs and, and AVs and, and stuff like that coming out. Um, but they're, they ended up in two different silos. And then there were some other silos. Of course, you have the CMDB, which everyone listening to the show as a practitioner, I'm sure has a perfect CMDB. And everyone's clapping their hands right now, right? A nice <laughs> tennis clap, um, right? So then you had the CMDB, which was a mix of maybe a few integrations, but mostly relying on people to fill those out, right? You put process, you tried to solve it purely with process and maybe a little bit of technology. And what AppNovi, what we started looking at was people are so close to solving it, but all the data is siloed is incomplete when it's not combined, is hard to query, uh, hard to get data out of multiple things at once. Um, uh, you, you know, I used to be a SOC analyst and we talk about the swivel chair analysis. You got to go to one screen and then swivel to another screen and then another. Right, right. And so Abnovi, the approach that we really took was combining all the things, uh, right? Taking all your existing data sources and then putting into one. But I, I honestly say like, we are not some magic AI ML algorithm <laughs> that, tr that tried <laughs> to solve it. This is a problem that it's crazy, should have been solved five, 10 years ago. And, and we're taking some unique ways to solving it, right? And mixing in a lot of heavy visualization and stuff. But yeah, it's pretty wild. And, you know, and we've talked with uh, some analysts that we, that we really appreciate in the industry, as well as some other vendors that we're partnering with. And it's funny, often they say the same thing to us too. It's like, yeah, this should have been solved forever ago. This is crazy. Like, uh, and I think us just taking a practitioner lens really helped as we, uh, as we took it on. Well, look, and I got a lot more questions to ask you, but we're out of time, brother. And uh, <laughs> it goes fast, man. It goes really fast. And I'm probably even over, you know, my producers are going to probably get on my case. But I, hey, look, man, I appreciate you coming on. You know, it's a great conversation and uh, we have to have you on again. Awesome. Uh, I, I loved it. Thanks, George. Thank you so much for having me. All right, folks. It's time to bounce up out of here. I hope everyone had a wonderful President's Day. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Dave Frostia. Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.